May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life, our God. Amen. What a great reading about Thomas. I think Thomas gets the raw deal, really. Doubting Thomas. I mean, how many of us here don't have questions about the resurrection? How many of us here don't struggle with what the resurrection is all about? Thomas wasn't doubting, he was honest. Thomas asked the questions many of us want to ask. He's our placeholder in the story. So I'm a big fan of Thomas. And I think he gets a really, really hard time with this doubting nonsense. Somebody said on Tuesday, poor Thomas. Pa, poor Thomas. We forget that only maybe a week or a little more than a week earlier in the story that John tells, it's Thomas when Jesus says he was returning to Judea because his friend Lazarus had fallen asleep, a.k.a. had died, and all the disciples are going, no, 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 this is too dangerous. The Judean elite want, want to kill you. You can't go back. You have to stay here in Galilee. It's Thomas who says, let us also go that we might die with him. And when we apply this title, Doubting Thomas, to him, well, how is he any different from any of the other male disciples? Mary Magdalene experienced the risen Jesus, and she went back and preached the very first sermon, I have seen the Lord, and the response from the male disciples was, they hid behind locked doors in fear and trembling for their lives. Is that doubting? Sounds to me like doubting. And when Jesus appears in their midst, they quake with fear. So if it's doubting Thomas, then maybe it should be doubting disciples. And if it's poor old Thomas, then maybe it should be poor old disciples. But I think there's a bigger problem with this story. And that bigger problem is this word, doubting. Is Thomas doubting as we understand that word? When we use that word, I doubt that that's true. We're kind of calling for proof that that idea could be right. And we often read this story as a... Thomas is just looking for some scientifically verifiable external proof to the idea that Jesus has risen from the dead. But actually, that's a very Western idea. It's the kind of thing that emerges in Europe after the Thirty Years' War. So the Thirty Years' War is when the Catholic Church does its level best to annihilate the new Protestant church, during which time it's estimated that maybe a quarter of the population of the German states died. And that's not counting the cost on the battlefields or in other parts of Europe. It was horrific. And as a result of that war, war that was about, well, who's true? Whose idea of God is true? 
Many Western thinkers, many, many thinkers in Europe said we cannot allow this kind of faith to be the basis on which we make decisions in the past. We can't have wars about this kind of thing again. We need to be able to make our decisions on a better basis. And so they said it needs to be on external, provable, experienced proof. The scientific method emerges as a result of this. And so when in this new age of enlightenment, that's what the age of enlightenment is about, when you doubt, then to, to kind of address that doubt, you offer proof. And so in many... And that proof is all about offering verifiable scientific evidence that this thing is true. And so because we've been brought up in a world where that's, what, that's how you prove something is true, then when we read the story we think that's what Thomas is asking. But that's not what Thomas is asking in here. This is not about him saying, give me some proof of the idea that Jesus is risen and I'll understand that it's true and I'll believe it as an intellectual exercise. It's not an exercise in apologetics about being convinced of the truth of the resurrection. He wants to experience what Mary Magdalene experienced. She experienced the risen, crucified Jesus. He wants to experience what the disciples experienced. He wants to experience the risen, crucified Jesus. He wants to do that so that he might base his life on that so that he might say again let us also go that we might die with him he had been willing just a few days earlier to lay everything on the line for Jesus everything including his life and if he could experience that if he could experience the risen crucified Jesus he was willing to do so again but he wanted to make sure who he was laying everything on the line for. And once he had that experience, doubting Thomas, puh. Thomas, unlike the other disciples who stayed in the relative safety of the Mediterranean world and therefore the Greek-speaking world, he travels through Arabia and Persia and what we now call Afghanistan and down into South India as far away from his known world as you could possibly get. And there he plants the Martoma Church. Thomas the Brave. Thomas the Courageous. So everything changes for Thomas when he experiences the risen, crucified Jesus. And the way of the crucified Jesus is affirmed. The risen Jesus still has the marks of the crucifixion. He doesn't stop being crucified. That's the importance of that part of that. He is still the crucified one. And so, in some ways, nothing changes. What do I mean by that? Well, we live in a world which deeply values the powerful, the important, the wealthy, the successful and large, and lately the famous. And those kind of values have crept into the church as well. And so, deep down, we value large, growing churches. And we really look up to famous pastors and vicars. You know, if you're, the, if you're a church planter or if you're the vicar of a, of a big, thriving church, then people look to you. And if you're famous, that's even better. And you get invited to speak at all kinds of conferences. And they advertise, is this man planted this mega church? And this man planted, they're usually men. 
this man planted this, did this amazing thing and they're famous and therefore we should listen to them. We should aspire to be like them because they come from successful, wealthy, large, famous churches. The same values at work. And we live in a world that affirms our right to use violence and force to protect ourselves and our interests. And if you don't believe me, just look at what's happening in the United States. And while that's an an, an extreme example of Christians just... I, I can't get my head around how Christians can say it's our God-given right to carry assault rifles to protect ourselves. I mean, where in the Bible does that even come close to that? But, and while we look with amazement and horror at that kind of extreme Christianity, those kind of values circulate around in this country as well. And all of that, well, all of that should make the cross a problem. And all of that should definitely make Jesus a problem. Because none of those things are part of the way of Jesus. See, Jesus affirmed the Torah, which says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind, and by loving our neighbor as ourself. And most people agree with that, and they think that's good. I mean, in America, that gets twisted a little bit to say, well, I need to protect my neighbor from refugees and Mexicans and Muslims with my assault rifle. <coughs> but they ignore the second story that Jesus told about that, the story of the Good Samaritan. And the importance of that story was that Jesus was teaching that our neighbours includes everyone that we fear and despise and loathe. Because Jews and Samaritans, well, they hated each other. And Jesus was saying, those Samaritans are our neighbours. You can see why he got into trouble telling stories like that. Last week I told the story of the Polish Jews who returned home, and I don't know if it happened in other parts of Europe, but it did happen in Poland. They returned home over the Holocaust. They'd survived the Holocaust. They were looking forward to going home. And too many of them died when they returned home and new pogroms against them because they were feared and loathed by their once neighbours. Because those once neighbours did not want to return their property to them. And the sad thing is that those Christian Poles could not see that these returning Jews were their neighbours. And that to follow Jesus meant that they were to love them as themselves. And in doing so, they would love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind. And that's an extreme story. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? And Jesus demonstrated this radical idea of how we love God by serving our neighbour by honouring and blessing people every time that he accepted an invitation to eat with them. Samaritans, tax collectors, prostitutes and other sinners. With no requirement of repentance, he just honoured and blessed them. And as we heard last year in Matthew's Gospel, that was what got him into so much trouble with the Jew Jewish leaders, with the Judean elite. That he kept honouring and blessing the wrong people. He kept living out what it meant 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart and soul and mind, and by loving our neighbour as ourself, with this huge definition of neighbour as, well, everyone. Everyone is our neighbour. And Jesus also taught that those who aspired to be leaders were to serve those that they were to lead. And he demonstrated that by washing his disciples' feet on the night before he was arrested and crucified. And Jesus said that God's way is the way of not all-powerful, but of vulnerability, of powerlessness, of love, not retaliation and violence, not coercion and force. And he demonstrated that by allowing the Romans to execute him on a cross, a death that was supposed to to strip him of all meaning and value. And it was supposed to force us, his valuers, his followers, to let go of our ideas about who he was and who God is and about who we are in light of all of that. And then, and then he taught that those who wished to follow him and live the way of God were to do so so by walking the way of the cross. And lastly, he taught that all of this is part of the kingdom of God of God and the kingdom of God the reign of God is starting now in this world in this world but as the story of the Jewish people returning to Poland as the story of our treatment our hesitation about immigrants Asians refugees show too often we who profess to be his followers have not embraced his way Why? Well, I think the resurrection is to blame. Too often we reduce the cross, as I've said many times before, too often we reduce the cross as a means to make God happy with us because God is unhappy with us because we're sinners. And by Jesus dying on the cross, God can now be happy with us and we can get into heaven. The point be that we can get into heaven. And as I've said, this idea kind of emerges in Christian thinking with St. Anselm, in about 1100, 1070. So it's a a relatively, you know, second half of church history idea. And before that, there were a few ideas about who held humanity in captive, but essentially it was the devil. And Jesus comes to free us from the grip of evil. But because we keep thinking that it was God who needed Jesus to die, well, we understand the resurrection as fixing all that troubling stuff about Jesus' death. I mean, Jesus died on the cross. We can ignore pretty much everything he does and say beforehand. And then Jesus rises and he rises and goes to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God and he reigns there in splendor. And we can get right back into describing God in ways that make sense to us. God, all-powerful, reigns in splendor, punishes those who offend God. And all those alternatives that Jesus lived are lost, and it becomes business as usual. Which, valuing power and might and wealth and all those good things. And sadly, that then leads to the pogroms against Jews, all in the name of the crucified one. But for Matthew, Mark and Luke and John, the resurrection did not fix the cross. Not in one iota. It affirms the way of the cross. It 
is God's big tick to the way of the cross. It's God saying tino tika, tino tika to all that Jesus has said and did. Jesus doesn't stop being crucified. The whole point of Jesus having holes in his feet, in his side, in his hands, is that he is still the crucified one. And when he rises, God says, Yes, this is my way. This is who I am. Yes. This is God saying, Yes, that our neighbours include all who share our humanity, all who, like us, are made in the image of God. This is God saying, Yes, that to follow Jesus is to serve and not to be served. It is God saying, yes, that to follow Jesus is to be generous and compassionate and self-giving, as Jesus was generous and compassionate and self-giving, as God is generous and compassionate and self-giving. So that's what changed for Thomas, that this way of of being that they had learnt in following Jesus, which seemed to be ended at his cross, The cross then becomes the means by which they fully understand what that way is all about. And the resurrection is the affirmation of that. It is God's yes to that. And so nothing changed. For them, it was back to business as usual. Back to the way that they had lived for the last three years. Back to the way that Jesus had taught them both in his words and his actions for the last three years, living God's radical love. And as we heard from the reading from Acts this morning, they lived it in radical, radical ways. And we can see how that was played out in the life of Thomas the Brave, the missionary to India, who asks, who had the courage and the honesty to ask the questions he needed to ask before he could commit his life to that. Is this really God's big yes? Yes it is. I'm in. So the invitation from Thomas is not to get too stressed about what happened. Instead we're invited to open ourselves to see and hear the risen Christ, the risen crucified Christ around us, at work in our world and at work in us. The resurrection invites us into the way of the cross, into the way of God's unrelenting love. And when we experience the risen Jesus, we are to know that the only way to life in this world is this way of love. This way that Jesus taught and lived. The way of the cross. The way affirmed by God. And that any other way leads only to more violence, more squalor, more pain, more death. So as we as a parish approach our AGM, sometimes, like sometimes the values of this kind of overcome us and we want to be successful or we want to survive and we want to know how to get more people to come to church and all those kind of issues, I want us to not think about those. I want us us to think instead about How do we stand in God's big yes in the resurrection and live Jesus' way of the cross? 
How are we an alternative in this society? Loving God with all our heart and soul and mind by loving our neighbours, i.e. everyone who lives around us as ourselves. Amen.